So sometimes, and maybe I'm the only, maybe I'm the only one that experiences this, but I want to know, has anybody ever experienced your, as, as far as serving God, you're doing all the right things, right? You're spending time in prayer. Your relationship with is good. You're spending time reading your Bible. You're going to church. You're expressing God's love with you at every chance you get, but it seems like nothing else is going right around you. And you're, has anybody else ever felt like that? And you're like, God, why is this stuff happening to me? Why am I struggling in these areas? God, I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing. Why is it that everything seems to be falling apart around me? No matter what we do, it seems like nothing's going right. And I've experienced that tons of time in my life. I've experienced that in times of my life where I'm serving God and I'm, I have financial struggles or we're serving God and, and, and doing everything right and we've had uh, health problems with our, with our children. In the church here where you're like, God, why are we still... Why haven't we exploded or grown more than, than we've expected? You know, Because we, we think we're doing all the right things, but God, it seems like nothing is, is moving. But the reality is, is that in our spiritual walk, we're going to experience hills and valleys. Sometimes we are going to be on top of the world. We're serving God with everything that we have, and everything is going great. And other times, we're going to be in a valley. And sometimes, let's be honest, we dig our own valleys. It's our own stupid fault that we are where we're at. It has nothing to do but there are other times when we drop into these valleys and it doesn't seem like there's a reason, a rhyme or a reason, and we, we're crying out to God, why are these things happening? Sometimes we're on top of the world where we are tangibly and visibly blessed. Everybody can see it from 100 miles away. They're like, God loves that person. And other times it seems like we're just getting kicked around by everybody. There's no traction, no breakthrough. We're not making any kind of distance. But today I want to talk about that, and we're going to take a look at Elijah's life because you're going to see some of that in Elijah's life. And I find it interesting because Elijah is kind of like the super prophet of the Old Testament. He's like the prophet of all prophets. He's the main man, but you're going to see that even him, he's going to go through these hills and valleys in his life just like the rest of us. So in 1 Kings 17, 1, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord of God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there should be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So let's give you a little background on what's going on here. One, the Jewish people, and really all people in this area of the time, expect two rains during the year. There's the, the, the latter rains and the, the, the early rains. The early rains in October November. Latter rains in March and April. And these rains are what sustain the land. It's how their crops grew. It's how they made sure everybody was fed. And if the rain didn't come, it wouldn't be long before there was a famine because if there's no food growing, you know, they didn't have safe ways where the food could be shipped in from somebody, somewhere else. They, they grew their own food. And if the rain didn't come, then they didn't eat. But you can read in Deuteronomy chapter 11 where it actually talks about the blessing of these continual uh, early and latter rains coming in was, was supposed to be based on the Jewish people obeying God's commandments, serving Him. They serve Him and He takes care of them. And the reality is that the land belonged to the Lord. And the, the idea was, and, and, and what God had said, is that if you defile the land with sinful idols and serving other gods, then that blessing is going to be pulled away from you. And the reality is, is we see that even in our own lives. And it's not that God is, is so much 
striking calamity into our lives, but we end up pulling ourselves away and we make ourselves unblessable. God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you, but we can do things that remove us out of the ability for God to do that. One of my favorite scriptures is where it talks about, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I, how I long to gather you in like a hen pulls in her chicks. And the picture there is that this winged feather comes out and it begins to pull in the chicks. But how many of you know that a winged feather isn't solid? And if you want to press through, you can press through. And that's what God is wanting to pull us in. But if you press hard enough, if you run hard enough, you can remove yourself from the blessing of God. And that's basically what has been happening. These, the, the Jewish people are acting all kinds of fools. And we look at that stuff and like, why are they doing stuff like that? But we forget that we do the same thing all the time. We do dumb stuff plenty of times. That's, what's, that's what I love about the Bible is because these people are just like us. They do dumb stuff like us. They do smart stuff. They serve God with everything they have, and sometimes they run away. But we can learn from what's happening in their lives, what's going on, and what can actually happen to us. And like I said, I don't believe uh, that, that God was actually intentionally withholding the rain to punish them, but they had removed themselves from a, a place in their life where they could be blessed because of the way they were living. And then on top of that, now Ahab is king. And if you read about Ahab, you can read it in 1 Kings uh, chapter 16, verse 1. And it basically says that Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord more than everybody else before him. Basically, Ahab was the worst of the worst. And at this point, he's kind of made Baal worship the, the, the kind of state religion. He's got everybody doing it. They're all following suit. And he's, he's made a mess. So now Elijah shows up, and he's probably, like I said, one of the greatest Old Testament prophets. He is a guy that, that when you read about him, when he spoke, it was just like God was speaking himself. I mean, Elijah was in step with God. Even his name translates to Yahweh is my God. There's no doubt about who Elijah is, who he's serving, and what he's doing. And he's being used by God at this time to demonstrate to all of Israel that God is God, and the Baals are not God. He's, he's being used to prove to the Israelites that, no, listen, you guys are serving the wrong person. And he gets up and he stands before the king and he declares, there's not going to be any rain except for by my word. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I look at this stuff and that's a pretty bold statement. I mean, you have to be right in line with God to make that kind of declaration in confidence. Because, I mean, think about that. Think about you making that statement to someone else that it's not going to rain for three years. It's not going to rain except for my word. I mean, we can say stuff like that, but how many of us really believe that if we said something like that, that it would come to pass like we said? I mean, some of us have a hard time just praying for healing from a headache, saying, uh, you know, commanding the headache to go away because we've been given authority. We're healed in Jesus' name. And we have problems saying that because we're afraid it's not going to happen. We don't even have the confidence to stand against a simple headache or the flu or a stomach ache. But this guy gets up here and he says, it's not going to rain until I say so. That's some boldness. This is a guy who is in step with God. He knows God got his back. He knows that he's speaking the words of God. And this is, if you think about it, a significant judgment because the Baal worship, basically the, the, the Baals were gods of fertility and gods of rain. So basically what, what Elijah is saying is that, you know what, by my word, there's not going to be any rain. I'm going to prove to you that your Baals, your gods, have no influence on whether it rains or not. It's actually my God, Jehovah, that makes 
a difference. Imagine the confidence that he had to make that kind of declaration. Man, I look at these people and and you almost begin to to create like a caricature in your in your head of what these people are like that somehow they're super special and super spiritual and i love we're going to look at today that no they're just like us they just chose to trust god but it's evident that elijah at this point is on one of his spiritual hills he's sitting on top of the mountain nothing could touch him god's with him he's with god but what I find interesting is that even on this hill, he just makes this declaration. And uh, if, if you haven't read this, spoiler alert, it happens just like he says. But it still doesn't work out quite the way that I would imagine that it would work out. Because the next verse in 1 Kings 17, 2 on through verse 7, it says, And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here, turn eastward, and hide yourselves by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. You see, what's strange to me is, is from the outside looking in, it seems like Elijah's heading into a valley. He was just on top of the world. He was declaring to the king. And I would think if I was God, this is how I would do it. Because this is my man. This is my mouthpiece. He's the one I'm working through. I'm going to have an army of angels surrounding him. And they're going to bring him food. And they're going to take And he's going to live in comfort because he's doing what I've asked him to do. He's being faithful. But it's not quite how it works out. You see, Elijah's been trusting God. He's declared God's power. He's serving him with all that he has. And then God says, now run and hide. I'm going to take you out to a little brook where you're going to have to drink from this little brook and then I'm going to send ravens to feed you. And I can't imagine what's going through Elijah's head because Elijah is a good Jew. He's been serving God. He's following the law and the law says they can't even touch a raven, let alone eat food brought from one. So now we have things not working out quite how I would imagine them to work out. We have Elijah who I imagine to say, all right, I'm going to do this for God. I'm stepping out and things are going to get better. And really they just, kind of get worse he's now hiding we find out that uh, historians say it's probably about a year he stays by this brook before it ends up drying up he's sitting with there being fed by ravens which is which is incredibly un-jewish it's not following the law and and uh, the good news is is that if god says something is clean then it's clean right and i imagine he's still like coming off this top he's like all right god i'm gonna trust you it's not ideal but i'm gonna go ahead and 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 do what you tell me to do. But you can look at this in a couple of ways. You can look at it as one. God seems to be letting Elijah down a little bit. And if you look at it from the outside in, you can, you can almost see that. Like why, if Elijah is doing everything right, is he suffering in such a way? But the reality is, is that God is taking care of Elijah against all odds. Because that's your two ways you can look at it. One, God is taking care of Elijah, or one, God isn't taking care of Elijah. And depending on your perspective, I can see how it can look both ways. But the truth is, is that all of the nation is going through this drought. There are people that are starving and dying and who have nothing to drink, but God made sure that they were being taken care of. But 
I don't know, I just see, I look at this and I'm like, man, this just doesn't seem like the way that I would do things. But what it does do is it encourages me because when I look at my life and I see that, no, I am serving God, I am doing what I need to do, but everything doesn't seem to be working out the way that I imagine it should, I have to remind myself and I would remind you that just because things aren't working out the way that you expected them to doesn't mean that you're not right with God. It doesn't mean that God's upset with you. It doesn't mean that you're being punished. It's like... It's, it's like, I don't know, there's been so many times when stuff doesn't work out the way that I imagine it to, and I begin to search my life for, for this sin or whatever that's happening. Like, why is this happening? Why, how, what have I done to remove myself? And there have been times when God points his finger at, like, yeah, you need to stop doing that. You've put yourself in a position where I can't work in that area until you change. But there's other times when there's nothing there. And sometimes we just go through valleys in life. Elijah still had to experience the drought with the rest of Israel, and now he's serving God, and the king is after him. The king wants him dead. We're going to actually find out in a little while that, that, that the king shows up. When, when Elijah finally shows up to the king, the king says, hey, there you are, you troubler of Israel. It's kind of like when your kids do something wrong, so you ground them, and they're mad at you because you got them in trouble, and you're like, no, no, I, I didn't get you in trouble. You got yourself in trouble by doing stupid stuff. And that's kind of like what's going on here. Ahab says, hey, you trouble of Israel. And, and, and Elijah's like, no, that would be you. You're just dealing with the consequences of your stupidity. Even if life is not working out the way you expect it to, it doesn't mean that God is not there. Matter of fact, the promise of God is that he is with you to the end of the age. He's with you always. He'll never leave you nor forsake you recognize that even in these times in your life where it seems like you're in a valley that God is still taking care of you one of the things you can think about is is where would I be if God wasn't this this seems pretty rough but where would I be if God wasn't taking care of me and for Elijah he could take a step back and say well if God wasn't making sure that I was fed and watered where would I be now and he would be struggling just like the rest of them especially and and there's no indication that Elijah really had another profession. He was a prophet. <laughs> That's what he did. There was no indication that I can see that he had any other way to bring in income. So God took care of him every step of the way. And sometimes you just have to ride out the valleys in your life. And as we continue on in verses 8 through 12, it says, The word of the Lord came to him, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug and now i'm gathering a couple sticks that i may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die so now the drought's been going on for a little while most uh uh uh, commentaries that i read says it's been about 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 a year so it's about a year and god says the brook dries up so i don't know what's going through elijah's head and i don't know if you guys think about this stuff when you're reading it but i wonder like He's watching the brook dry up. 
He's like, all right, God, you're going to do it. I'm just going to keep trusting you. Are you going to do anything, God? And then finally, the drip dries up completely. And God says, you know what? Get up. I got a town I want you to go to, and you're going to find a widow there, and she's going to take care of you. And I think about this stuff because now Elijah is like, finally, this is over. God's called me. We're going to go somewhere. And wait a minute. A widow's going to take care of me? Widows are, the, are typically the poorest and neediest people of the land. And now you want, you're going to send me to be taken care of by this widow, this poor widow? So he says, all right, God, and he heads in towards the town. And, and I, you know, have you ever noticed that as you're coming off of a hill, you, you, can, you just keep trusting God for a long ways down, right? So now we've got Elijah, and he's like, you know what, God, I'm going to keep trusting you. God, I'm not. We're going to keep moving forward, and uh, we're just going to keep pressing on. And he does that. And I notice that in my own life. You know, when, I'm, when things have been going good, it's easy to continue to trust God as things are starting to go downhill where things aren't working out the way that I would expect them to. But then he finally gets there, and this lady is not at that point anymore. Matter of fact, her life is so rough that she's struggling so much. She says, he says, bring me some water, bring me some bread. And she says, yeah, I was just going to make our last little bit, feed it to myself and my son, and, and we're just going to die. Has anybody ever been that bad? Probably not, in the, not, at least not even in this church in the United States where you're like, my only other option is to eat a final meal and just go die. That's where this woman is at. She has no hope. She has no outlook for a better life, for a future. The drought doesn't look like it's letting up. And then some guy comes up, probably looking all crazy, and says, hey, bring me some food. And she says, I don't have any. I'm getting ready to go die. And I can't imagine her surprise at what a bizarre request from some guy she doesn't know. I don't know if she knew who Elijah was. Probably not. Because that was the first he showed himself, at least as far as we know in the Bible. That was when he showed himself to Ahab. That was his, his first revelation of being a prophet. And then he went and hid. So she probably doesn't know who he is. And this guy shows up. And she says, bring me some food. And the story goes on like this. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day of the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days and the jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord, he spoke by Elijah. So think about this. Because up to this point, she doesn't know about this point, about the, the jar not running out. Some crazy guy who's been living and by being fed by ravens, living by a brook. You know, I, I don't imagine he, he swung by a barbershop on the way home and made himself look all pretty. So I imagine he looks pretty wild. He looks pretty rough. He shows up. And he goes, walks up to her and says, bring me your food. She says, I don't have any. This is all I have left. And he says, don't worry about it. Bring that to me anyway. And what I find interesting is not only does he says, don't fear, do as you have said, but first make a little cake and bring it to me. And then afterwards, after you've taken care of me, then go ahead and take care of yourself. Man, what a claim. Like Elijah is, is still walking with God. He's still, he's still pretty high on his heels, so he knows what's going to happen. He's going to trust God. But this lady, can you imagine what she's thinking? She has no hope. Her, her, her plan right now is to eat one last meal and die. And this guy says, you know what? Go ahead and give me your last meal anyway. 
I imagine she was in one of the worst spiritual valleys of her life. Matter of fact, there's some indication that she's actually not serving God at all because it's not for a little while. We're going to read the outcome of the story when she declares her faith in God. But for whatever reason, and I don't know what's going through her head. I don't know why she's thinking this. I don't know. Maybe she was just exasperated. She's like, oh, who cares? What's it matter if I eat one more meal or not? So she makes this, she makes this prophet some bread. And lo and behold, just like he said, just like this crazy guy that just showed up out of the woods said, the jar doesn't run out. She trusts God because of the word that Elijah spoke. And in her valley, she begins to slowly climb out of it. Maybe she has some hope at this point. Maybe she's starting to see some change. You see, Elijah is still on the top of his hill because when he speaks, God moves. You know, when miracles are happening around him over and over and over again, but she doesn't know this. She's at her bottom. But she's beginning to learn an important lesson. Sometimes we have to learn when we're in our valleys. This is one of the greatest areas of growth in our life, and she's beginning to learn that God is her source. Because when you're on top of the world, you can begin to think that you are your own source. But the truth is, God is your source either way. Whether you're in, the, in your hills or in your valleys, God is still your source. God is still taking care of you. And she's beginning to learn that, that God is her source. But the story changes very quickly. In just a few more verses, in verse 20 through 21, uh, we're still in 1 Kings chapter 17. It says, And he cried to the Lord, O my God, have you brought calamity upon with the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him. Now imagine that you're this widow. And she has Elijah come in. Crazy guy wants all of her food. She says, okay, God does a miracle. They have food to last for days. And then her son gets sick and dies. Now she's in that boat saying, wait a minute, God, I was trusting you. I did whatever you said to do through this prophet. I did everything that you asked. I made sure that he's taken care of. And now you're going to kill my son? And we begin to see for the first time in Elijah that, that, that caricature of a perfect for a guy who serves God, that perfect prophet begins to, to rattle apart a little bit. We begin to say, you know what? He's a real person too. And he has thoughts just like we do. He has confusion just like we do. He wonders what God is doing. And this woman, having hope, having a light at the end of her tunnel, just gets it squashed out in an instant. And then, Elijah says, Oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity upon this widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Even Elijah doesn't understand what's going on here. Even Elijah doesn't understand why God is doing this. It seems like everything is going right. Elijah knows that he's serving God, but now this widow who's been taking care of him, care of him is dead. And then he stretches out himself upon the child. He prays for the child, and spoiler alert, if you've not read this, the child lives. And this is what the woman says when her child is brought back to life. 1 Kings 17.24 says, The woman says to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth and it's truth. 
Like I said, one of the things that I'm starting to learn as I read the scriptures and also I see it being bore out of my life is that I do the most growing, the most learning, getting closer to God, trusting him more when I'm in my valleys, when things aren't going right. When I have to stop relying on myself and have to fully trust him, that's when I begin to grow. And the same thing as this woman right here as well. She came in and, and she saw some pretty amazing things and maybe she's got a flicker of hope, a light at the end of the tunnel. But it wasn't enough. But then when her son died and he is brought back to life, she, she finally makes her public declaration. It was in her valley when she fully surrendered to the Lord, put her trust fully in him because of what God was doing in her life. You know, if it wasn't enough that the, the, the oil and flour never ran out to prove that that was God, in this case, there was no doubt that it was God who rose her son from the dead. And it's the first time in the Bible that someone is being raised from the dead. And she begins to climb out of her valley because God begins to move. And the story goes on in Elijah's life. We see that he's a man just like us, that he thinks just like us, that he has his doubts and concerns, and he's not just this perfect spiritual person that we imagine these guys to be. And finally, God tells him, all right, now it's time to go confront Ahab. It's time to go deal with this king. So in verse, 1 Kings 18, 20 through 21, this is after he has met Ahab, is, or Elijah went and met Ahab. He goes and speaks to him. This is where I told you that Ahab accuses Elijah of being the troubler of Israel. And Elijah's like, no, it's, it's, it's actually you with the practices that you and your forefathers have been doing. You've been bringing them on yourself. And he says, to prove it, I want you to gather up all the prophets of Baal. Go ahead and gather up all the, the people of Israel and, and let's go ahead and, and, and have, a, have a talk with them. So in verse 18, 20 through 21, it says, So Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Once again, we see Elijah standing on top of his spiritual hill. And really, right now, Elijah's life is, is doing like this. Hill, maybe a little bit of a valley. Hill, a little bit of a valley. But things are about to change in Elijah's life. But he gathers up all of Israel, he gathers up all the prophets, and he begins to speak boldly, proclaim that God is God. And if he is God, then follow him. Quit having, uh, you know, being wishy-washy. Quit going back and forth. Serve God or don't. And he's speaking the truth to these people. And if you know the rest of the story, and I'd encourage you to read it, it's a great story, but he, he goes ahead and, and basically has a showdown between God and, these, and, and, and Baal. And if you remember the story, he has the prophets of Baal calling their God. The, the whole point is they're supposed to burn up all this stuff on the altar. And he, they, they're, they're dancing around for hours. And finally, this is why I like Elijah, because finally he's like, what are you guys doing? scream yet louder maybe he's off maybe your god is off relieving himself or maybe he's asleep and he needs to be woken up well the thing about the bales is they're not god they don't have god's power and nothing happens so then elijah says go ahead and pour water onto the wood here on the altar which is interesting in and of itself because they're in a drought you want to know what the most precious thing that you have in a drought 
It's water. And now Elijah's got them dumping their water on top of the altar with the wood on it. And as you know, God comes through and he burns everything up and proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is God and that, that uh, Baal is not. And then Elijah gathers up all the prophets and he kills them. And he has this an amazing victory, stands for God, proves without a shadow of a doubt all of Israel that's gathered around has seen what's going on. And we see a man who's firmly at the top of a hill in his spiritual walk. And after that's all said and done, we're going to start to see him begin to pray for rain. In 1 Kings 18, 41 through 46, it says, Elijah said to Ahab, go Go up, eat, and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked, and he said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and winds, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garments, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. See, shortly after this incident with the prophets of Baal, he begins to pray. And he kneels down on the top of Mount Carmel, and he begins to pray, and it doesn't say what he was praying for. But he's speaking to God, and the, the, the end result is that the rain is going to return to Israel. We're going to be done with this drought. And he begins to send out his servant to the edge and say, hey, do you see anything? And the servant comes back and says, there's nothing, there's nothing. And on the seventh time, he comes back and he says, way over the horizon, there's this little cloud the size of a man's hand. And then Elijah says, get up and let's get going. It's time to move. You see, when I look at this, I begin to think, and if this was me, I wonder if I'd be going, really, is that it, God? I mean, you told me that when I spoke, rain was going to come. I'm praying to you. We're ready for this to happen, and you send me a cloud the size of a hand? You see, sometimes God works in ways that we don't see, that we don't expect, not the ways that we would do it. And other times, God's moving is much smaller or seems to be much smaller than we expect, so it's so easy to overlook it. It could have been so easy for the servant to come back and say, yeah, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand, and, and Elijah went, hmm, that's strange. Maybe I'll just go ahead and keep praying. And by the time that he would have came back and said, no, there's a huge cloud, it would have been too late. Elijah would have missed out on what God was doing because he wasn't paying attention. But as we know, Elijah's at the top of his, he's in step with God. He's understanding. He knows what that means. He knows what that small little sign means. And he continues to trust God because he knows something big is coming. And for us, church, we have to keep an eye out for those little clouds in our life as well, especially when things aren't going well. We have to keep an eye out and look for what God's trying to do in our life so that we can be ready to move with it instead of letting it pass us by because we weren't paying attention. You see, this little cloud, this little this little hand-sized cloud that was coming up from the ocean it was a symbol to the nation because not only did it mean that the rains were were coming 
and they would be able to grow crops again. The, the ground would get the water that it much needed, but this was also a symbol after the, the prophets being defeated and now the rain coming. This was a symbol that now we were going to see the spiritual drought that was happening in Israel end as well. They were going to stop serving the Baals. They were going to start serving God. Things were coming around. It looked like it was going to be a great time. But that's not how things seemed to play out for Elijah because he's about to stumble headlong into the biggest valley that he's been in. In 1 Kings 19, 1-3, it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. After this incredible power, display of power, and strength, I, this has always confused me because he just killed like 300 uh, or 400 prophets of Baal and like 450 prophets uh, of the Asheroth. And he just, I mean, he just laid out a bunch of people. He's standing in God's strength. And now one, one lady says, I'm coming to kill you. And he bails and he runs and I, I never understood this. Why would you be so afraid of this lady when you just had this amazing victory? You know God is with you. You see that your prayers are answered. The rain is coming. What is going on here? But the thing is, is that it's so funny. If you just read a little bit further, usually you'll have your questions answered. Because if we keep going, we have the Elijah runs and hides in a cave. He's hiding from this, this, this woman, Jezebel. 1 Kings 19, 9-10, he says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. You see, Elijah's problem wasn't that he was about to get, that somebody wanted to kill him. I imagine, I mean, this whole time, Ahab and his kingdom were looking for him to kill him. So the problem wasn't that he was necessarily afraid of Jezebel. I mean, I, I can't imagine how this mighty prophet could be afraid of this, of this woman when he's accomplished so much. I can't imagine how that would be working out. We finally see his answer. He says, I have been jealous for the Lord, and only I and left. You see, what happened was is after this this moment on the on the on the top of Mount Carmel, 